0: Imagine for just a moment that we're going on a safari into Africa. What are the first things that we're going to have to do? Obviously, the first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get with an outfitter. We're going to have to get with somebody who can train us, who can give us the knowledge, the skills, the equipment, the directions to show us how to accomplish Our goal. We might even bring along the outfitter as a guide to tell us where to go and how to get there and how to use the equipment. We're going to need equipping. We're going to need outfitting. Now let's put imagination aside for a moment and recognize that in fact we are on a journey. We're on a journey to heaven. And we need outfitting. We need to be fully equipped. I want you to notice what it says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, the Scripture there reads, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The Bible says that if we want to be equipped for the journey, we have to go to Scripture. In fact, according to Reinecker and Rogers, linguistic key to the Greek New Testament, the term translated equipped here refers or was used of documents which were completely outfitted, or the a wagon which was completely outfitted, or a completely outfitted rescue book. Do you get the picture here that Paul is setting for us? As we're on our journey, as we're going out in our wagon or in our boat or wherever we're going, we have to be completely outfitted. And it's the Scriptures that provide for us the knowledge, the skills, the training, the equipment, the direction for us to accomplish our journey. It does this through teaching. It does this through reproof. It does this through correction. It does this through training in righteousness. But when it's done, and we have stayed in the Scriptures, and we have followed the Scriptures, that is going to make us completely outfitted for the journey. That's going to make us fully equipped as we travel life's road to the goal of heaven. But how does the Scripture do that? As we take a look at the Scripture and its equipping, we recognize that it's not just a series of legal statements. We understand that it is not written in some type of detailed manual type form like the tax code. There's not a detailed reference to everything that's legal or illegal within the law of God. And yet it tells us that this will equip us for every good work. How will we know if it's a good work? We find equipping, outfitting here in the Scriptures. How does it do that? Well, brethren, I believe one of the places that we can start in answering this question is in a chapter in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 15, we find the children of God there taking a look at a question. They were wanting to know if something was lawful. They were trying to find out if they had equipping for a particular work. In Acts chapter 15, there were some Pharisees among the Christians who said of the Gentiles who become Christians, oh, this is Acts 15 and verse 5, They said, well, they have to be taught to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses first. When we're taking a look at Acts chapter 15, the question that is being discussed here is, does God equip us to baptize Gentiles for the remission of their sins without them becoming Jews? The Pharisees were saying, absolutely not. God has not equipped us to do that. If we want to baptize these Gentiles first, they have to become Jews. They have to be circumcised. They have to submit to the law of Moses. Then we can baptize them into Christ. That's what they were saying there was equipping for. Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and James said that's not true. We have equipping. We have authority. The Scripture, actually at that time, of course, the Holy Spirit in His revelation that they had in part at that time, they were saying, has equipped us to baptize Gentiles for the remission of their sins without them becoming Jews. We need to recognize as they were going through this discussion and this division that could have happened, we need to recognize what an important item this is. For us, we take a look at Acts 15, and and looking with hindsight and having read the book of Galatians and having read all of the New Testament, Acts 15 seems almost, we're just kind of wondering what the big deal was. But remember, for the Jews, for a long time, they had been separate from all the other nations. And up until Acts chapter 10, Christianity had been solely a Jewish religion. Nobody but Jews had been a part of it. And so this is a major paradigm shift for them. And so it's no wonder that there were some folks that were stepping back and saying, no, 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 we don't have equipping for this. We don't have authority for this. God has not allowed us or authorized us to do what you're doing. Even Peter, the apostle, if we look back in Acts chapter 10, all the convincing that he had to have in order to baptize Gentiles without their first becoming Jews. This was a major issue. But I hope we recognize that it was an issue of equipping. It was an issue of authority. And when we take a look at what happened in Acts chapter 15, I believe we learn how we're supposed to take a look at the revelation of the Holy Spirit and learn and be equipped fully for the journey. It's an amazing picture that's presented here in Acts chapter 15. There is no new revelation given in Acts chapter 15. When the apostles in the church of Jerusalem came together to discuss this issue, the Holy Spirit did not give them new revelation. Rather, they looked at what the Holy Spirit had already revealed. Isn't that what we're doing? We're looking at what the Holy Spirit has already revealed. How do we look at it? How do we use the Scripture that fully equips us so that we can be fully equipped for the journey? That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up and praise your name. Your name is indeed holy and reverent. And I pray that we'll always treat it that way. Father, keep us from treating your name vainly and uselessly. Father, you alone are worthy of glory and honor. And we wish to glorify and honor you your way. We thank you for giving us all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of your Son. Excuse me. We thank you, Father, for giving us all that we need to serve and glorify you and bear fruit that glorifies you by giving us Your Word so that we might know Your mind and Your heart and we might know Your will. Help us to get into Your Word, to use it the way You've intended it to be used so that we might honor You and not ourselves. Help us not to go out on our own. Help us not to try to abide in some other vine, but rather to abide in You, taking our life and our strength and our guidance from what You have said. Father, we know that we can do nothing apart from You, apart from Your Son and Your Spirit. And we pray that You help us to stay firmly anchored there. We love You, Father, and we thank You for loving us. Through Your Son we pray. Amen. If you take a look at Acts 15, there are some things that they did in order to learn how to be equipped for the journey. But before we do that and, and look at those things, I'd like for us to take just a moment and notice what they did not do. I think, I think what they did not do for our purposes this morning is just as important as what they actually did. I want you to notice that they did not apply the Old Testament. As they began to ask this question about what was equipped, what they had authority for, and the, the Pharisees had said, wait a minute, we've got to circumcise them and teach them to keep the law of Moses. As Paul, as Peter, as Barnabas, as James addressed the congregation in Acts chapter 15, not once did they go back to the statutes of the old law and use that as their standard of authority. Now, yes, I do know that James is going to quote from Amos. I do recognize that James is going to take a look at a kingdom prophecy that prophesies kingdom action and say that there's some authority for a kingdom there. But they did not go to the standards of statutes and regulations of the law to apply to today. You see, they understood a distinction. They recognized that if we're going to figure out what we're supposed to be doing, how we've been equipped, we're not under that old law anymore. In Hebrews chapter 7 And verse 12, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12, the Bible there says, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. We know that the Old Testament is the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ, so we're not surprised to find prophecies that talk about the kingdom, that help us understand the kingdom and what goes on there. But the law is not the law that we're under. The old law is not our law. And they recognized this in Acts chapter 15. They didn't go to the old law to say what they had authority to do. I want you to notice the second thing they didn't do. They didn't say, we don't need authority. I think this is very important. Because today, when folks like me talk about how do we find authority from Scripture, there are a whole lot of brethren, even brethren that we would say are very conservative-minded, that are starting to say, well, you know, that whole thing about authority, that's outmoded, that's outdated. We don't really need authority. Besides that, you know, we're doing all kinds of things we don't have authority for anyway. And start throwing up smoke screens and saying things about it. But here in Acts chapter 15, they're asking the question, do we have authority to baptize Gentiles? And I want you to notice that Peter... Paul, Barnabas, James, they didn't sit back and say, well, we don't need to worry about that. We're we're under grace. We don't have to worry about authority. This would have been the perfect opportunity for these apostles if that was the case. If issues of authority didn't matter, if issues of having equipping from the Holy Spirit didn't matter, here would have been the perfect opportunity for these four men to stand up and say... We don't have to worry about this question. We're under grace. We don't need authority for what we're doing. We don't need equipping. But rather, they took this question very seriously. They didn't blow it off. They didn't run those guys off. They didn't start their own congregation doing what they wanted to do. They said, we need to find equipping for this. And then they demonstrated where the equipping came from. the third thing they didn't do. They didn't say, well, we're under a law of liberty James chapter 1 and verse 25. James chapter 1 and verse 25 describes the law under which we live. It says in James 1.25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now there are some folks that tell us today well, issues of authority don't matter because our law is the law of liberty. We're free in Christ to do what we think will glorify him. Here was the perfect opportunity. You realize, you realize that the person who wrote James 125 is in Acts chapter 15. He's the one that quotes Amos chapter 9. But did he say, guys, look, this doesn't matter. We're under a law of liberty. We're under a law of freedom. We can do what we want if we think that it glorifies God. If we think that it's a good work, it's okay. Because our law is a law of liberty. It's not a law of limitation. No, you see, they recognize that the law of Christ liberates us from our sins. It liberates us from the control of Satan, but it does not liberate us from the need for equipping and authority. It does not liberate us from the guidance that Jesus Christ has offered. It was the perfect opportunity for them to say, it doesn't matter, we're under a law of liberty. But they didn't. They provided equipping. Fourthly, they did not say, you know what? All that matters is love. We know 1 Timothy one five that says the goal of our instruction is love, that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. We know 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 that says God is love. We know 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 that says Jesus died because of love. We understand that all of the law hangs on these two commands, that we love God and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. We recognize that. And here would have been the absolute perfect opportunity for Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James to say, guys, don't you get it? Jesus died because He loves us and all that matters is do these Gentiles love. All that matters is that God loves them. And if we can just get them to love God, it doesn't matter what else we do. But they didn't do that. They didn't say, all that matters is love. They said, we've got to find equipping. We've got to find authority. And here it is. Here would have been the perfect opportunity for them to say, you know, you Pharisees, you guys always have this problem. You're always trying to draw a line. You're always trying to be legalistic. You're always trying to figure out exactly what somebody has to do. If you could just ever understand that all that matters is love, then we'd be just a little bit better off. But that is not what they did. Instead, they established authority from the revelation of the Spirit. And one more thing that they didn't do. They didn't say, well, show us where God said we can't. Show us where God said we can't. And this is becoming a a, something that is used over and over again today. Brethren, here would have been the perfect opportunity If the way God authorizes is that anything that is not strictly prohibited is allowed, here would have been the perfect opportunity for Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James to demonstrate we know we're allowed to do this because God has never said we can't. You Pharisees, you show me where God condemned us baptizing Gentiles. But that's not what they did. They didn't do any of these things. Instead, they took this very seriously. They recognize that there are some among us who are questioning where do we get authority for what we're doing. And our job is not to blow them off. Our job is not to say it's unnecessary. Our job is to step up to the plate and show how we're equipped to do this. That's our job. And if we can't find it, then we need to be over there with them saying that we can't do it. That's how they acted in Acts chapter 15. And here's the amazing thing. By the time they were done, they had come to unity. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 22 it said, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And then in verse 25, as they wrote the letter, it said, It seemed good to us having come to one accord. So they didn't do any of these things, but they came to unity. Today, all of these things, with perhaps the exception of number one, the last four, we're told, Oh, this is how we have unity. Quit worrying about authority. But in Acts chapter 15, they were concerned about authorization. They were concerned about being equipped by the Holy Spirit. And they came to unity. And I think that's important for us to recognize. What did they do? How did it work? We're going to take the three things that they did, and we're going to work backwards. We're going to take a look at what James said in Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 13. In Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 13, James said, after, the, after Paul and Barnabas had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Now, my my little Bible here insets that paragraph beginning at verse 16 and verse 17 because it's indicating that this actually comes from the Old Testament. This is a quote from Scripture. This is a quote from the Holy Spirit. This is not new revelation. This is revelation that the Holy Spirit had already given. A prophecy of the kingdom age. James says, and this, by the way, is from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. He's talking about the time that God returns and the temple of David is being... the tent of David is being rebuilt. Its ruins are being rebuilt. It's being restored. And by the way, for those who are dealing with premillennialism, what a great verse this is. Because it points out that the temple of David, the the tent of David, is already being restored. The kingdom has been established. And what does it say is going to happen during that time in which the kingdom is established? It says, during that time, the remnant of mankind, they seek the Lord, and the Gentiles who are called by my name. Do you see that? The Gentiles who are called by my name. James says, we know that they can do it because the Holy Spirit has directly stated it. Very simple. Here I can go to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has just said, Gentiles can seek me. During the time of the kingdom, Gentiles can seek the Lord. They don't have to become Jews to seek the Lord. The Gentiles will be able to call on the name of the Lord. Do you realize what this means? This means that if I want to be equipped by the Scripture, if I want to know what is a good work, if I get into the revelation of the Holy Spirit and it just directly states that I can do something, then I can do it. If it directly states that I must do something, then I must do it. I mean, this is just a no-brainer, isn't it? This is just plain common sense. If the Scripture said do it, or the Scripture just directly stated that we can do it, then we're equipped for that work. Then it's a good work. Does that make sense? But that's not the only thing. Keep in mind, we're going to notice three things here in this text, and I want you to recognize that I'm not suggesting that we have to have all three of the things we're mentioning. You see, James knew that it was authorized by the Spirit because of this. But Peter recognized it for a different reason. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 12, excuse me, I said Peter, Paul and Barnabas recognized it for a different reason. In Acts 15 and verse 12, it said, All the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas we know that God accepts these Gentiles without becoming Jews because we've seen examples of it. Look in Hebrews chapter 2 so that you can understand what I mean by that. In Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. In in Hebrews 2, verses 3 and 4, the Hebrew writer explains to us what the miraculous gifts were for. They were a testimony of God that what was being taught and the person teaching was right with God. Now Paul and Barnabas say, when they stand out before the council, they say, listen guys, we've been going all over the world and we've been baptizing Gentiles and God has been working miracles through us. So what's Paul and Barnabas saying? Paul and Barnabas are saying, we've seen a proved example because we've seen it happen. And we know that God approves it because He's continuing to work signs and wonders through us as we're doing this. So you recognize, if we look through the Scripture and we find these early Christians themselves doing things, we see approved examples from the Scriptures, then we recognize, well, I'm equipped to do that. I'm allowed to do that. Obviously, I'm allowed to do it. If God let the folks in here do it, then obviously we're allowed to do it, right? Obviously, it equips us to do that. And that just makes plain common sense to me. Does that make sense to you? But there was a third issue. You see, James said, Well, I know we're allowed to do this because the Scripture directly states it. Paul and Barnabas said, Well, I know we're allowed to do this because I've seen approved examples of it. Peter says something else. If we back up just a little bit, in Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 7. In Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 7, it says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you To help us understand what Peter's saying here, let's go back to Acts chapter 10, because he's reminding us of what happened in Acts chapter 10. We know the story that Cornelius had sent for Simon Peter, and Peter had come to him, and Peter had started to teach him, and in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10 it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Before we comment on that, look in Acts chapter 11. Paul gets back to Jerusalem, and the Jew, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are a little upset about this. You've gone and spent some time with Gentiles. And Peter just tells them the story of what happened. And it says in verse 15, as I this is Acts 11:15, "...as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when the Jews in Jerusalem heard these things, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, are you recognizing what's happening here? And what happened with Cornelius, the Holy Spirit did not directly state that the Gentiles were allowed to be baptized. Neither did the Holy Spirit give an example of Gentiles being baptized for remission of their sins. But right there, in that moment, in fact, the very first time anyone ever understood that they were authorized to baptize Gentiles without them becoming Jews, how did it happen? Are you ready for this? This is one that folks had a lot of problem with. But brethren, it was a necessary inference. You see what Peter's saying? Peter said, if the Holy Spirit can baptize these Gentiles without them being Jews then clearly I can baptize them with water for the remission of their sins without them being Jews. In fact, did you catch Peter's statement, he said, can anyone deny baptism to these people? Can anyone? You see, that's necessary. We've got to understand the difference between necessary inference and inference. I've heard people say, oh, you can infer anything. That's right. You can infer anything. Because of your background, you might infer a lot of things that I don't infer. Because of your outlook on life, you might infer things. That, and a lot of times, the communication problems that we have between people is the fact that I'm, I'm inferring one thing and you're inferring something else because of our different background. But did you notice Peter? Peter didn't say, could most of us, could some of us, could a particular people. He said, can anyone deny this? You see, that's a necessary inference. A necessary inference is an inference that everyone has to draw. It doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter how old they are, how young they are, uh, their race, their, their gender, it does, their socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter. As they read it, they have to necessarily infer It's just a part of what's said. And that's what Peter said. Can anyone stop this from happening? You see, it was a necessary inference. If the Holy Spirit can baptize Jews excuse me, can baptize Gentiles without their first becoming Jews, then we can baptize them in water. And notice, he went back to the folks in Jerusalem, the folks who would be most opposed to it, whose background wouldn't want to infer this, they heard what the Holy Spirit had done and they understood the inference. They understood the implication. And they necessarily inferred, you know what? God has given them the means to repentance without becoming Jews. And here's the amazing thing. What have we already said? In Acts chapter 15, these three things were demonstrated. And what did the church do? It became unified. The Pharisees who said, we've got to teach in the law of Moses, they've got to get circumcised, They, they saw this and they said, wow, okay. We've got authority to baptize Gentiles without their first becoming Jews. We have been equipped by the revelation of the Spirit. Brethren, I suggest to you that this is exactly the same way we can do it today. We do it exactly the way they did. Now don't you think if we do it the same way they did that we can come up with the same conclusions they came up with? And then if we do it the same way they did, we'll be doing it the way God wants us to. Remember what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. The Scripture is breathed by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is how it's done. Now, I recognize, I recognize that this is not all we can say about the Scripture and what we need to understand. I understand we need to talk about issues of generic authority and specific authority and and, and how that works in the Scripture. But I just want you to start off here because I'm hearing more and more. I'm hearing more and more from people who say, well, this is, I mean, how many of you have heard this sermon before, essentially? Direct statement, approved example, necessary inference. A lot of the older folks, you've heard this one. I'm hearing more and more people say, oh, man made this up. Man made this up. bunch of old Church of Christers made this up. And it's now our tradition, and oh, it's awful. It is the tradition of Christ church to go to the Holy Spirit revelation to authorize this way. It's the tradition that dates all the way back to Acts chapter 15. And brethren, it's a tradition that we must follow because it has been handed down to us by the apostles themselves. I didn't make this up. I didn't get into the Bible and decide that this was my own little way of, of formulating this. I'm just looking at what they did. And it's exactly what they did. And I need to do the same thing. Does that make sense to you? Because I've got to tell you, that makes all the sense in the world to me. Fully equipped for the journey. We get into the Scripture, direct statement, approved example, necessary inference. This is the foundation for the way God equips us through His Word. We'll talk more about other issues with this in sermons to come. But let's have this foundation. Notice again, Peter, Paul and Barnabas, James, they took this question seriously. They didn't blow it off. They didn't say that's old-fashioned. They didn't say that that's too legalistic. They said, you know what, you're right. We need to find authority, and here it is. And that's what we need to do. Let's keep that foundation.